Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We are gonna be jumping back into our series that we're calling Building for Blessing. And we have been looking at this kind of larger principle in the word of God that talks about how when God is doing something in our lives, when he's working in our lives, typically there's been something that has happened in advance. And if you've not been with us, uh, several weeks ago, we started by looking at this principle about building for blessing. We looked at several examples in the book of Acts. That's where we've been kind of pulling our specifics, but it's all throughout scripture. And here's the principle we've seen, that God will often do the structural before he does the supernatural. That oftentimes before the fun stuff happens in our spiritual lives, there's fundamental stuff, foundational stuff that needs to happen. Sometimes it looks boring, but that's what leads to the blessing in our lives. And God will often do something structural. He'll work something out in our lives so that when he does the supernatural, when we do sense his presence, when we are used by him, we have the the resources, we have the infrastructure, if you will, in our lives to support, maintain, and, and value, be good stewards of the blessings that he gives. So we've talked about some of the ways that God does this. Uh, we talked about how sometimes he uses change in our lives. Sometimes he uses conflict. Last week we looked at how he develops our character. And today we're gonna look at a, a different angle of this and we're gonna talk about how important it is if we want to have God's blessing in our lives that we have clarity about some things in our lives. It's so important that we have this clarity in our lives as we look at these things. So we're in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 tells us the story of what's referred to as the council at Jerusalem. And this council at Jerusalem happened because there were individuals who came to some of the churches and were saying, if you want to be a Christian and you're not Jewish, you need to practice the Jewish law on certain things. There were certain practices, and there became this real disagreement. We're, we're not gonna dig in in real detail to Acts 15. We, we've done that in the past, and I'd encourage you to read it for yourself. But the conflict came because what they were trying to say was, if you want to be a Christian, then there's things you have to do, and it looked an awful lot like legalism. We'll talk about this a little bit more here today. So there was this big kind of council that came together, and they met to consider these things. They met to look at these things at this council of Jerusalem, because the Gentiles were being told, you have to live like a Jew to be saved. And what they had to know is they had to get some clarity. They had to know what they believed. They had to know what really mattered. They had to know what their faith was really all about. And so in Acts chapter 15, there's this large meeting of church leaders. And at the end, they decide to send out a letter to the churches all throughout kind of that region where churches had begun to grow and spring up and to be developed to send out a letter so that they could have clarity about how to live out their faith. Here's what we read. Acts chapter 15, verse 23 says, with them, with these messengers, They sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization, these were the people who were teaching kind of the false stuff, and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friend Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The letter goes on to say, therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us 
not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So here's where they get some clarity. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. What we're gonna see is that from this point, the gospel moves forward into brand new territory with greater clarity. They're able to move forward with more confidence. They know the things that truly matter within the church. So whether it's the original church in Jerusalem or brand new churches that will spring up all throughout the the world in that season of time, they had clarity about some really key issues. Why does this matter? Because clarity removes obstacles to blessing in our lives. When we get clarity about things, it can remove obstacles to blessings in our lives. When there's certain things that we don't have confidence about, when there's certain things that we don't understand, where there's certain things that we're not sure what we believe, it creates a hesitancy in us, it creates an uncertainty in us, and it hinders us from receiving God's blessing. We've used a construction analogy all all through this series, and maybe we'll come back to that, because if you're gonna build, if there's gonna be new development, then surveys will be done, because you need clarity about where the boundary lines are. Oftentimes, soil samples will be taken because you need to know what it is that you're dealing with. You're not just gonna dream up how to build something by yourself. You're probably gonna talk to experts. If you want something to be sound, you're probably gonna have to speak with an engineer. It's important to know what you need to know before you try to build. And if you try to build without doing those fundamental things, oftentimes, if you don't have clarity on how this needs to happen, what you build will not last. It will not be sustained. It will not hold up. But with clarity comes confidence and purpose. Once they knew with clarity where they were going, they had confidence to move the gospel forward. They had confidence in the way they interacted with one another within the church. And they had more purpose about where they would go from there out. So what I wanna do tonight is is look at some statements with regards to clarity in our lives, that when we look at these things, and these are things that spring out of what we see kind of revealed in Acts 15, that when we have clarity about these things in our lives, it puts us in a place where it removes obstacles and allows us to be somewhere where God can build blessing in our lives. So we're gonna look at three clarity decisions for building with blessing, decisions that you need to make, things you need to consider, And and I'm gonna challenge you, wherever you're at in life right now, like you may hear some things in the next few moments that might challenge you a little bit about some of the way you think, about some of the ways that you live. And if that's you, be reminded that you are the one who's responsible for building for blessing, for being open to what God wants to speak in your life through his spirit and how he might speak to you through his word as we look at this today. So three clarity statements for building with blessing. Here's the first one. Number one, I know who I am. Clarity statement number one, I know who I am. The very root of what we look at in Acts chapter 15 is a church that's trying to decide what it takes to be a child of God. They're trying to figure out who they are and who's qualified and who fits, and there were all these rules and all these discussions And what it comes down to that is so very important for us to see, and we'll see this in this story, is that you are a child of God because of Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. And this was so important for them to grasp in this story. In fact, when you read the book of Galatians, when you read the book of Ephesians, when you get the big picture of the New Testament, so much of it is about the fact that the reason we have salvation, the reason we have hope, 
where our trust is found is in Jesus. You are a child of God because of what Jesus did for you, not because of anything more that you did and not because of anything less in the big scheme of things. When we talk about heresy, when people start to believe something that isn't true, almost every time it comes down to those things, where you start to believe something more about the gospel, like Jesus plus something else, or when you begin to believe something less about the gospel, when you take away something from who Jesus really is. And what we need to understand, it's right here in this passage, that you are a child of God because of what Jesus did. Nothing more, nothing less. Maybe the best place for us to see this in scriptures in Ephesians chapter two. Look at this with me, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. Pretty familiar passage for a lot of us. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Three things that I think are good for us to see out of this passage we're familiar with. Here's, here's one. You are saved by the grace of God. The reason that you can have salvation, the reason that you can know forgiveness, the reason you can be God's child is because of one thing and one thing only. It is by grace that you have been saved. Aren't you thankful for that? Like you are saved by the grace of God because he loves you, because you're chosen, because you belong to him. I mean, we just took time to sing all about those things and what Jesus did for us. You are saved by the grace of God. It's not because of any other reason. And you are not saved by how you live. That's really important for some of us to get a hold of. Because maybe depending on your faith tradition, or maybe depending on your background, it could be that you feel like it's your job to get this salvation right. That you have to earn it. That you have to work for it. In fact, some of you consistently tell yourself that you're not good enough. How could God love you? How could anybody love you? How, how could you move past the things that you've done? Maybe there's condemnation that keeps coming from the past and you think somehow I've gotta do enough good to make up for the bad in the past. Here's the reality. You're not saved because of how you live. You're saved because of the grace of God and because of what he did in your life. Anybody like popsicles? Go ahead, show me a show of hands as it's warming up. Maybe like popsicles, okay. Let's ask another question. Anybody like SpongeBob, the cartoon? Anybody? Would anybody eat a SpongeBob popsicle? All right, there's a little guy. I think he's eight years old. He lives in New York. His name's Noah. He loves those popsicles. Guess what he did? He hopped on Amazon and he ordered some. Had them delivered to his aunt's house. 918 SpongeBob popsicles. Whopping total of $2,618.85. Fortunately, he got free shipping, right? <laughs> Crazy. It's, it's kind of a big deal because guess what? Those aren't returnable. <laughs> you can't return food items like that. And so now Noah's mom is on the hook for almost $3,000 in SpongeBob sickles. And then a friend of the family said, you know what? I got to do something about this. Went out to social media, started to GoFundMe. Here's what the statement said. Noah's, Noah's mom is a mom of three. She's studying social work at New York University and can't afford those popsicles that her little guy ordered inadvertently, accidentally, 
unknowingly on Amazon. So people started donating. They didn't cover the $2,600. They gave $5,780 at the time of the print of the story for those popsicles. More than enough to cover what it was going to cost. She said, thank you so much for your mind-blowing generosity and support. As a child living with autism spectrum disorder, all future donations will go towards Noah's education and additional supports. We cannot thank you enough, truly. Isn't that a cool picture of grace? That he could not pay, she could not pay, and yet someone else stepped in. Can I be honest with you? You're gonna think less of me in just a moment. When I read that story, there was one part of me I said, that's so cool, what grace. And then there was this another part of me that was like, well, that little boy's not learning his lesson. They should have to pay for that. What are they gonna do with all that extra money? Why is that, you, your, your mind starts going to some of those places. Yours didn't, because you're much more holy than mine. But mine went there. And before you start thinking less of me for having that thought cross my mind, start thinking of the way that you think about yourself. Because there's some of you that when God tries to give you his grace, when he tries to show you his mercy, you're quick to go, well, I don't really deserve that. I don't know that I should have that. God, I can't believe that you'd love me that much. And we push back on God's grace sometimes and we think we have to carry the weight of that. We, we are quick to do it to others too. That's what we call legalism. Where we wanna say to others, hey, that's, that's ridiculous what you did with those sponge sickles. You need to pay for that, or you need to do it my way, or you need to do it the way that I think it should be done, when the reality is, just like Noah, God has graciously poured out his grace over and above what we need in our lives, not because we deserve it. In fact, poor Noah, he didn't know exactly what he was doing, but I bet when you sinned, you did. The reality is, God is there, and he's pouring out that grace in our lives. And don't push back on it. Don't run from it. Be willing to say, God, I know that it's not because of my works, but it's because of your grace that I'm loved. And look, some of you need some clarity in that because you're questioning love in your life right now because of what you did, because of what somebody else did. You question your value and you question your worth. And God would remind us what he says in the last verse of that passage, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 where he says that you are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his workmanship, and that he created you to do good works that he had planned out for you far in advance of your very first breath. See, you're not saved by good works, but you will do good works because you're saved. See, this is the point of what we're gonna read about here in Acts chapter 15, that because we are saved, it changes us. It works something out in our lives. You're not saved by that. You are not saved by good works, but you will do good works because you are saved. It's gonna change you, it's gonna make you different. So here's the challenge that I have for you, kind of a little uh, construction analogy, if you will. Recognize this, that you are the builder of your blessing. It's not a bad look, actually. <laughs> you are the builder of your blessing. Like you decide how these blessings are built. Not anybody else, not what's been done to you, not what's going on around you. Now look, all blessings come from God, but I believe how you build 
the decision you make, that's gonna determine what kind of blessings God can pour out in your lives. Isn't that the whole story of Israel? That God says over and over to, get to them in the Old Testament, if you do this, then I will bless you, but if you do not, I cannot. And we choose how we'll handle that. In fact, here's how Caleb said it, Joshua chapter 24. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But, and here's, here's where we hit, see this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We're gonna put on the hard hat. We know who we are. We are children of God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. And this is the message of Acts 15. You get out there and live that. You live that truth. You live that life because you are called to build for blessing in your life. So take up that mantle and do what God's called you to do, especially in the season in which we live, especially in a world that, let's just be honest, it's gonna be really weird for the next few months as we come in and out of these seasons we've been in. In that, don't miss the fact that you have been called to build for blessing. I know who I am is the first decision. Here's the second one, number two. I know what I believe. The second decision is this. I know what I believe. When you read Acts 15, you're gonna see over and over again a reliance on the word of God. When you read the New Testament, you're gonna see over and over again a call to lean on God's word. Over and over again in scripture, you see the value of God's word. And if we're gonna stick with this construction analogy, it's good for you to know that we have some construction documents that we look to. We have some blueprints, and scripture gives that to us, and what we believe becomes the blueprint for how we live. So it's important, this, this second decision, that I know what I believe, what we believe becomes the blueprint for how we live. And what we believe is found in God's word. The Bible is what becomes those blueprints. It's our construction document. It tells us how we are supposed to live and believe, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, we read this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. He goes on to say in this passage, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. We're called here to believe in God's living word. We're told that his word is alive and that when we believe in it, it can change our lives. It can make a difference in our lives. Hebrews 4.12 says this. It tells us, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive. My question is, is it alive in you? Like, do you allow it to be alive in you? Do you find some way to interact with his word? Not, not just maybe a, a message in church once a week. Finding a way to say, God, how can your word be alive? Because it brings us truth. It brings us hope. It, it pierces into our spirits to see where God can bring healing, where God can bring life. And my encouragement to you is let God's work do it, or his word do his work in your life to have that ability, that power, believe in his living word and believe in his enduring word. 
that his word does not fail. Believe in that enduring word of God. It says that, that so many things will fall away, but God's word will never fall away. And we can constantly trust it. We can put our hope in the word of God. You know, sometimes we have a tendency as, as Christians, I think, to play a little more defense than we play offense. Like we're quick to say, the word of God is under attack. And so many places it is. So many corners of our culture, people are pushing back on the truths of God's word. But what's important for me to understand is that's not new. That's been happening for centuries. And every attack comes and goes. But what has withstood the test of time? So what's important for me to realize is that God's word does not need me to defend it. I need to take God's word and move forward with victory, with hope, with truth in a world that might push back against it. Does that make sense? I need to live in the confidence of God's enduring word. I need to hold on to it. I need to trust in it. And when I see the world falling apart around me, I don't run away in fear. I hold on to the only truth that's gonna last and survive. And this is key for us to say, God, help me to hold on to your word and know that this is how I build. Can I tell you the danger that comes? Not that God's word is under attack, but that we don't hold on to it. Or even more, that we keep messing with it. Like we keep kind of tweaking God's word, trying to figure out what it means when it tells us exactly what it means. It tells us how we should live our lives. My concern is not so much to defend God's word. My concern is do we really believe it? There was a flight in China that had to be canceled recently because when they were about to take off, they looked at the ground and they saw there were a bunch of pennies under the engine and they realized that there was this guy that as he had been walking on the plane, took some pennies and threw them at the engine of the plane because there's this like thought theory conspiracy, I don't know what it is, floating around that if you throw coins at your plane, it's good luck. This has happened a couple of different times. For the record, it's not. You shouldn't throw little metal objects into a jet engine. Just don't do that. It's a bad idea. So when they finally figured it out, they're like, well, we don't know what went in and what didn't go in. We found some, but we're not sure. We think it's all, but we're not, we're not confident. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pull everybody off the plane. That's 150 people. We're gonna have to cancel this flight and then you will all fly tomorrow instead. <laughs> Find the guy like, like $17,000 or something. Because he had this thought in his head that he, if he would just throw this at, at life, then it was gonna make things better somehow. And we do this with God's word. Like instead of just listening to what it says and speaking to what it speaks to us, we'll take our own ideas, sometimes just crazy nutty ideas, and we'll throw them at God's word too instead of actually listening to what God's word has to say to us. Now this will play out in this next point that we're gonna look at here, but I've gotta tell myself sometimes, stop messing with God's word. Just believe what it says. See, when we throw our own ideas at God's word, we sabotage the work of the word in our lives. When we look at God's word and try to say, well, what it really means or what it's really trying to say, or that doesn't apply to me, or when we read it or when we hear it, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts about what he might want to change. We actually miss out on what he wants to do. My encouragement to you is that you won't second guess the engineering that's in this document, that you won't wonder if he's put certain things in the right places or not, but instead that you'll understand that this document is, is living, it's active, not these blueprints, but these blueprints. And then as we live according to them, 
it makes all the difference in our lives because it tells me who I am and it tells me how I can believe for, for life. And the third statement, which is probably the biggest decision you have to make, I know how I will live because you can know who you are and you can know what you believe but not have clarity about how you're gonna live it out. Not have clarity about how you're gonna apply those things. And here's the deal, you, you can't ignore what the engineer has said about the structure and then think that the building's not gonna be compromised. It's important for us to make a decision that I not only know these things, but I'm gonna live these things. Which is why when we get to Acts 15 and they write this letter, <laughs> This, this is the part that kind of confuses us in the 21st century. They say, look, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols and stay away from, from blood and from strangled animals and from sexual immorality. And we're like, what? Like, what does any of that mean? And we've taken time in the past to really dig into the context of that and what we're reading about there. But there's some big pictures about what they're speaking there to the church at that time that they want them to know because the things that they were saying had to do with the culture that they were living in, had to do with their relationships with one another. And they were saying, those things are not things that are healthy for you. So let me tell you how you can live in a way that will, well, let me tell you a couple things. Live in a way that pleases God. Like when you make decisions in your life, how you're going to live, about your relationships, about your choices, live in a way that pleases God. Like if, if we go back to the house analogy, this isn't something I came up with, it's actually something that Jesus came up with. Do you remember the parable he tells in Matthew chapter seven, end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about two people who build a house, one builds on the rock and the other builds on the sand. You ever heard that story before? And the storm comes and the house on the sand is destroyed, but the house on the rock stands firm. What was the difference? The house on the rock is related to those who heard his teachings and then lived them and then did them. When we choose to live according to God's word, it creates a strong foundation in our lives. So we live in a way that pleases God. Another thing that's interesting that we see all throughout Acts 15 is that the decisions that they made are written in such a way that they are to live in a way that honors others and to recognize that there are other people in the world who may be different than you, who may have different experience than you do, who may be going through things that you've not been through, aren't going through, and maybe can never understand. And one of the key components is that in the church, in your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you live in a way that honors others. That's an interesting uh, building comparison as well. When we were in the process of renovating this building and the, the renovations that we've done since, I have been amazed at how many times we've had to make decisions that we normally wouldn't make because there are um, regulations that you make for people who might not have the same abilities that you have. Places where you need stairs, you also need an elevator. Places where you have to make sure you have access I remember the inspector told us at one point, he says, look, I don't care how you get people in this building. You can drop them in by helicopter. What I care about is how are you gonna get them out? Like if there's a fire, if there's some kind of an emergency, how will you get people to safety? And somewhere when we think about our lives, it's important for us to think about others, to live in a way that honors others. And this is key. I mean, we started talking about this the very first week of this series when we talked about you'll reap what you sow. 
that what you plant is what you're gonna harvest. And I've watched this happen in my life recently in a few different ways. And the analogy that came up was that of a boomerang. Look out, just kidding. I've tried it, I'm not good at it, but I know a guy who is. He, he knows just how to throw this thing that when he throws it, it goes out and does its little thing and comes right back into his hand. It's pretty cool to watch. And blessing does that in our life. Like I believe that blessing boomerangs, that when you love someone, it comes back to you. That when you respect someone, it comes back to you. That when you show grace to someone, that when you care for someone, that there's this powerful truth that what you do comes back to you. The Bible says you reap what you sow. I think this is particularly true in the area of honor. I say that because we live in a culture that shows very little honor to anyone right now. Instead, we question everyone who has any authority. We, we, we think poorly of anyone who thinks different than we do. And we're quick to dishonor others. And can I tell you, honor is a boomerang? And can I also tell you that dishonor is a boomerang? And what you put out there is what you're gonna find right back in your hand at some point. Because blessing boomerangs. And we choose this in how we live, in how we interact with each other, in how we share our lives. And let me give you one other thought about this, this idea of how we live. In fact, let's, let's park here for just a few minutes before we wrap up. I wanna challenge you to think about how you live in a world that's constantly changing, in a world that constantly has the ability to kind of pull the blessing right out of your life. I met a guy recently who's an inspector of homes. Like if you wanna buy a house, he's the guy that you call up to go and check it out. He'll walk through from top to bottom. He'll check the basement, he'll climb up on the roof. And then he's gonna give you a report and tell you the, the, the quality of the home. And he was telling me about how sometimes it's really interesting to watch that you can look at something and it looks like it's crooked. And so what you do if you're, if you're gonna check it is you look at this thing that looks crooked and you're gonna pull out a level. And you're gonna see, is that thing level or not? And he says what's interesting is sometimes you look at something that's crooked and you go up and you check it and you realize the thing that looks crooked is actually level it's the rest of the house that's leaning. You ever had that happen? Like where you hang a picture on the wall and for some reason because of the trim or the door frame or something like that, you look and you're like, that picture doesn't look right. And you go up and check it, boy, it's level. But you look and you go, man, the, it's level, but because of everything else around it, it doesn't look right. So then you make the picture crooked just so it fits in with the whole wall. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you got those optical illusions that you see where it looks like lines are crooked, but they're actually straight. It's everything in the illusion that makes it seem like it's crooked. I wanna encourage you to stay on the level and live according to the truth of God's word. Because we live in a culture right now where everything around us is tilted a little bit from God's word. It's not quite right. But because that's everything around us, we think that's the way that it's supposed to be. So when we live according to God's word in a culture that's off level, it appears that we're the one that's off level when actually the reality is when you live according to God's word, you're the one who's in the right place. It's the rest of the world that's not quite right. Does that make sense? So, so there's so many places where I would challenge you to think about this. 
that you stay on the level, that you live according to God's word and not according to the culture around you. Here's why. Because I want you to build for blessing. And if you build on a foundation that's crooked, just because it looks like it fits in better, you're building in a way that will not last and will not be able to sustain the blessings of God. Why does the council of Jerusalem meet in Acts chapter 15? Because they wanna give to the church a level that they can live by. Because if they'll have that clarity, then they can build for blessing. So the next time you kind of wanna lose your temper and you think it's not such a big deal because everybody in my family loses their temper or this happens all the time where I work, recognize that, I mean, I get it, it's easy because that's the, that's, the, that's the room you're in. But just because everything else is tilted doesn't mean you don't live on the level. Does that make sense? Like the next time you're tempted to maybe do something a little shady with your finances, I get it. It might be the easy thing to do. But recognize that in that moment, just because it's happening all around you, what'd your mom say? If everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? Right? When everybody else is responding in a way because of peer pressure, you stay unlevel. We live in a world right now that is fueled by resentment, bitterness, cynicism. We watch it. We hear it. We soak it up. And so many of those things aren't the spirit of Jesus. They're not the heart of God. But they're the world around us. And so we kind of take on those traits and we like to look that way. And can I challenge you? Even if you look a little out of balance to the rest of the world, you stay on the level. I get it. It's easy to do. But that doesn't mean you're building for blessing. Let me meddle a little bit and maybe give you one more that's probably not as popular. There was a new survey I saw in the last couple of weeks that a majority of self-identified Christians, basically, here's the headline, a majority of self-identified Christians don't care what God thinks about the issue of sex. They say that sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship, casual sex, you might call it, is okay in our culture. More than one in three evangelicals hold this view. And a majority of self-identified Christians say sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. Let me run through that one more time. Self-identified Christians, 57% of them say sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. So over half of those who say they are Christians say that, that sex outside of marriage is really no big deal. And I get it. Like, I get it. Like, I, I see why that happens. I see why people say that because it's constantly in our culture. It, it's constantly the things that people say. Well, it just, it just makes sense. And we've kind of pushed some of those truths aside. But can I tell you, when you push those truths aside, even if the whole rest of the world's like this, God's word says it's like this. And when we do it our way or the world's way instead of God's way, we're not building for blessing. 
We're not allowing him to work out in our lives. I don't say that in a judgmental sense about any of these things. Like, I get it. That's the world. That's the culture. That's what it looks like around us. But in a world that is this way, choose to live life on the level according to God's word. Not because I'm old-fashioned. Not because I'm a prude. But because I've seen it over and over again that when you do things God's way, you have a strong foundation where you can build for blessing. Why stress this? Because it's hard. Like, it's difficult. We live in a world, and so did they in Acts 15, where the current was pulling them away from God's blueprints. It was pulling them away from who God says they were. And in a current that is pulling us away from the truths of God's word, we need to constantly shore up the foundation of our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Remember I told you I was talking to a guy who inspects houses? I was asking him all kinds of questions and he started telling me about the houses that are along River Road, right? Toledo, Maumee, Perrysburg, Rossford, all those houses that are out there along River Road. He says, you know what's interesting about most of those houses, especially the older ones? He says, it's that their foundations constantly start to lean. Like they're constantly leaning. You go into many of them, you can actually see like the, the, the leaning in the basement walls because he says, if you're gonna build a foundation on a river that's always moving, you're constantly gonna get pressure. You're constantly gonna get erosion. You're constantly gonna get those things. So if you live in one of those houses that is right up against a current that is always moving, you have to constantly be aware of your foundation and make sure you're shoring it up. You, you've got a challenge on your hands in those places. Well, guess what, friends? Not just because we live on the banks of the Maumee, but because we live in the world we live in, just like they did in Acts chapter 15, there is a current of culture that is constantly flowing past us that questions the truths of God's word, true? And so what do we have to do? Well, we have to have clarity and we have to say, God, even as the current of culture moves this way, I'm gonna sure up my foundation on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ because I know who I am and I know what I believe and I know how I'll live. I wanna live in a way where I can build for blessing. So can I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, whether you're uh, sitting here in this room or maybe you're listening to the podcast or you're watching this on TV or online. In the last few moments, God's spoken to your heart about maybe who you say that you are compared to who he says you are. Or maybe he's spoken to you about holding on to his word in difficult times. Or maybe he's talking to you right now about the way that you're living. And there's some things in your heart that maybe you already knew. Maybe you already had a sense of conviction and you just said, something that's just not right about this. I don't know if this pleases God. I don't know if this is the right way to live. And right now you realize that even though the world around you, the culture, the current of the world around you might look like one thing, you wanna choose in your relationships, in your workplace, in your school, in your mind, in your decisions, that you're gonna build for blessing. You can't do it on your own. The reality is we need Jesus. We need someone who will come alongside of us and help us. And so in this next moment, Pastor Bennell and the team are gonna come and they're gonna sing that song we sang earlier about Jaira. 
the name for God, our provider. And whatever it is that you're holding on to, whatever it is where you're saying, this is a place where I need to give this all over to the Lord, would you just in this next moment say, Jaira, God, Jesus, you are enough. Help me in this season. Give me everything I need so I can build for blessing in this season of my life. Can I invite you to stand with me if you would, please, whether you're in this room or even if you're watching this at home, and can we take a moment and sing this as a prayer together? Father, thank you for your word that doesn't always speak easy things to us, but always speaks life to us. So Lord, would you give us the clarity to know who we are? God, would you give us the clarity to believe in your word? God, would you give us the clarity to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing it in Chira, you are enough. Thank you, Lord. Chira, you are enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you are enough. Come on, let's declare. He is Jaira, you are enough. Yes, you are in Jaira, you are enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. And right now Lord would you remind them of who they are would you remind them of your love for them and would you remind them that you are the one who comes alongside of us and strengthens us in every season of our lives Lord help us to live our lives according to your word in a way that honors you so that we can build for your blessing in our lives God thanks for your presence we ask that you would go with us with your special favor and with your wonderful peace we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.